Last week, talk show radio host Rush Limbaugh, famed in conservative circles, died of lung cancer. This has fractured the right, with noted conservative commentator Ben Shapiro claiming that he has broken a left-wing monopoly on media and created a right-wing alternative, while Ross Douthat, a conservative opinion journalist, has instead claimed that what Rush built was a dream palace that has tricked conservatives into serving their own insider bubbles instead of expanding to a broader coalition. In fact, they're both right in a way, and this is the two sides of the coin of a dilemma that not just faces media, but that faces every single institution in the United States. This is Metapol with me, Cactus, demystifying politics, society, and media for all who seek rationality. <laughs> The phenomena that Ben Shapiro and Ross Douthat are describing are actually the exact same thing. It originates from two differing philosophies on how to create societal change between what we know as the left wing in the United States and what we know as the right. The typical left wing political strategy when it comes to institutional power is to influence and capture existing institutions. They believe in working inside of frameworks and have, on a population level, much more of a tendency to actually seek going through those systematized pipelines. On the other hand, right-wing or libertarian strategy is to leave and start competing institutions to quote-unquote become their own boss and create an alternative from the ground up. Of course, this isn't the same around the world. This is localized in the United States but you're going to see these two competing forces in any given society. What this, along with geographic polarization, has resulted in is a strange dilemma in which one of these actions is going to trigger an equal and opposite reaction. Now, what these asymmetric strategies have created, particularly in the United States where they're polarized along party lines, is a strange equilibrium where any action in one of these directions drive extreme overreaction in the other. You can see this in the development of the American media, where increased prevalence of conservative alternatives, such as Fox News, have also resulted in relatively center-left outlets becoming more and more catering to hard-left outlets, since the conservative viewers that would normally also populate that show's audience has now shifted over to this right-wing alternative. However, this is not a one-sided coin, since those originally center-left organizations have an incentive to actually try to keep that audience as well. In fact, in many countries such as Canada, there is enough of a centrist tie to reality or a tie to objectivity that even if there are slight left-wing biases in terms of the makeup of the people who are actually working in journalism, there would nonetheless be a significant enough and rational enough appeal to people of all types of ideologies and backgrounds that they would nonetheless get their information from the same source. It's very easy to look at the news coverage in the United States and actually note that their partisan levels in media exceeded the levels in countries such as Canada before a right-wing alternative rose up in the form of Rush Limbaugh or later Fox News. What this means 
is that the asymmetric strategies fundamentally rested at an unequal equilibrium. That things were at a tipping point, where there could be small pushes by those who would be incentivized to work within institutions without tipping over the entire thing. In the case of the United States, whether it was due to a first instigation by many of those media sources going too far to the left, or whether it was due to a drastic escalation once Rush Limbaugh started his show and created what many argue is a new generation of conservative alternatives, this directly leads to a feedback loop. It leads to a situation where there are further and further right-wing alternatives and where there is further and further left-wing polarization of existing institutions and a severing of the ties to actual fact, resulting, of course, in ratings journalism and even in the spreading of conspiracy theories in mainstream outlets. Even while trying to find the root of this phenomenon, it may not actually be due to a difference in the concerted behavior of either of these two groups. Instead, it could be due to an increase in geographic polarization, something that happened naturally as more left-wingers moved towards cities and more right-wingers moved or stayed in rural areas. Of course, media institutions tend to be focused in dense cities, which means that this created a natural polarization in the people who actually work at these media institutions. Even if each individual journalist is having the same levels of confirmation bias, because there are more people who are left-leaning or a higher percentage of people who are left-leaning, then there's going to be an overall shift towards one side from these institutions. This very well may be what started this entire feedback loop. However, another strange phenomenon in these two situations is the behavior of these two types of strategies. What tends to happen in the right wing is one of two branches. Either there are continuing appeals to deeper and deeper subgroups, as many argue was Rush Limbaugh's legacy, or there's an attempt first to separate off into the right wing, and then to moderate, and to actually create more incentives for centrists to join once there is a significant enough part of the audience captured in one of these new right-wing alternatives. This could actually be looked at as the model of the Wall Street Journal, for example, which is largely considered to be on the center-right. On the other hand, the left-wing strategy results in a beginning where there's only slight influence and there tends to be either center or center-left presence in various pre-existing institutions and an increasing ratcheting up of power that slowly develops over time but tends to be unconstrained in nature if given enough time and if given enough of a pipeline, which we will talk about later. What this means is that right away, once this fracture begins, the right wing essentially puts its foot on the pedal, accelerating much more quickly with regards to polarization. Since they're constructing their institutions from ground up, this highly incentivizes explicitly conservative journalists or other personalities to join these new alternatives, resulting in a starting path 
that looks incredibly polarized. This then branches off into two parts, one that pushes even further towards the right wing, towards their own insular bubbles, and one that may be more moderate in nature. These two forces also play at a sliding scale, which means that at some point in time there are always going to be incentives to moderate, and incentives to push towards a more extreme end. However, what you see in the left-wing strategy is a slow creeping over time that eventually grows faster and faster, that eventually catches up to the levels of right-wing polarization and significantly passes those who moderate. You can see this manifesting itself in quote-unquote cancel culture and increased institutionalized pathologians and conspiracy theories. In no place is this more transparent than in the American university system. This is in fact rooted in an intellectual tradition of asymmetric debunking. What we first have to understand is that emotional sentiments are fundamentally heuristics. Any type of moral appeal is a trade between an idea that is right most of the time and a cost that arises when applying it in the wrong scenarios. Keeping this in mind, there are understandable debunkings of historically right-wing appeals, such as an appeal to tradition, an appeal to loyalty, or an appeal to purity. Nonetheless, this has created an imbalance, where there's a failure to debunk, at least to an equal level, similar heuristics on the left wing, including empathy and risk aversion. Of course, this sounds somewhat sociopathic. However, a debunking of empathy and risk aversion is just as valid as a debunking of appeal to tradition, loyalty, and purity. Those things are equally human, and equally have costs in various areas. The fact is, these institutions are already functioning at a half-sociopathic level, which actually creates the worst of both worlds, where they're completely blind to various people's emotional sentiment, and yet still deranged and still detached from reality. This is because evolutionarily, these errors balanced each other out. While there may be a failure in empathy in order to understand downstream consequences, tradition may have actually acted to overcome this. You can see similar things happening in the opposite direction, where while appeals to purity are often highly problematic, they can be counteracted by an appeal to empathy. So you see the cyclical self-resolution. However, by abandoning one side of the coin, university systems have created a hotbed for a failure in understanding to the other direction. And that's exactly what you see now, particularly in areas where it is much easier to fall into these narrative or emotional traps, including in the social sciences or in the humanities. This, in part, has caused significant psychological consequences for many people in younger generations, including a shocking 60% of Gen Z Americans suffering from an anxiety disorder, according to Measuring the Future. What this means is that by overloading on one side of the irrationality coin, they've amplified many of the traditional problems with that type of thinking. 
to the degree that it is literally a psychological disorder. What makes matters worse is that many of these sentiments are fundamentally embedded into institutional frameworks, including safetyism, the ideology that seeks to avoid risk over everything else. This results in what I call the neurotocracy, the rule by those who are most sensitive to negative information. We see this has obvious consequences, not only to mental health, but also to the ability to resolve problems. For those who are oversensitized to these negative emotions, they're inhibited from looking at very real, very true consequences. And by reacting empathetically to these overloads, people are avoiding a much greater consequence when it comes to institutional failure, when it comes to real tangible harm in the long term for people who they're not able to empathize with because they are too far in the future, and when it comes to risk aversion for extreme loss in opportunity cost. In short, the problem with empathy, particularly institutionalized empathy, is that there are people who are left off of the scale. People in the future, people who are far away globally, people who are not affected by the first level consequences, but instead by runoff consequences in the second or third layer. All of these people don't actually get the same weight when it comes to these emotional heuristics, which means that there's significant damage done in the name of trying to do something good. Of course, this argument applies equally to the same heuristics on the right, which seeks to capture aspects of human life in a simple rule, while understanding that there are costs to that as well. However, all of this has combined with exponentials, things that I talked about before, such as network effects or technological growth, that has taken these errors and compounded them, resulting in errors being more potent than the actual ability for people to resolve problems. This is very well illustrated simply by someone who is suffering from one of these anxiety disorders. In fact, it's not only them who are suffering from this, once again, 60% of Americans born 1995 or later, but whole institutions that are undergoing this effect. And in fact, this is exactly the consequence that we would expect from the ongoing polarization of media and the ongoing polarization in general of institutions along these left-wing and right-wing strategies. There is also a question of whether this was a concerted effort to gain political power by exploiting these fundamental flaws, or whether this was an emergent phenomenon as well. Some of the timeline would favor the former argument, since much of this polarization in these institutions happened before social media and happens before what I would argue is the tipping point in which higher levels of communication as well as population led to a domination of psychological flaws and network effects over rational sense-making. We also have to note though that many of these institutions, particularly universities, were highly connected much earlier, with people obviously living in close proximity and having constant interaction. Ultimately, it's an open question. There's not enough data to know. If there's information you'd like to share with me with regards to this, what you can always do is to leave a question or a comment in the review section of Apple Podcasts. 
Of course, I would also appreciate it if you gave me a 5-star rating along the way. Another way is to email metapoliticspodcast at gmail.com, where I will be creating an article that covers some of the more simple points of this podcast, as well as some other exclusive content. Moving on, understand that there needs to be an acceptance of these fundamental heuristics. We cannot constantly navigate through life and accomplish many difficult tasks without a trading of some error. However, one thing that can be done is to be conscious of where these errors arise, to be humble when these flaws are pointed out, and to weigh them carefully, particularly when architecting institutions or larger systems of collaboration. Of course, this is not an easy task either, and requires education and deliberation over a large number of people. Of course, you're contributing to that by listening to this podcast, but one other step to do it is also to share your ideas, or the ideas listed here. Reiterating a point that I talked about in episode 17, the exponential function is coming for you, there needs to be a breaking of the linear narrative bias mindset that tries to consider everything as a sequence of linear events and a fight between good and evil. That's simply not going to function, particularly when you see these network effects polarizing along that very narrative sentiment. So, what is the solution in the end? So ultimately, the solution will come in the form of having much more skepticism, much more of a pursuit for independent knowledge and much more of a beacon chain, much more of a source that tries to produce content that you can verify on your own terms. It requires a balancing of these heuristics, and a framework that breaks the traditional linear mold. That, of course, is the purpose of this podcast. That's why I'm bringing this to you today, and why I've brought to you every other episode beforehand. We want to have a functioning education system. We want to have a functional, depolarized media. And to work towards that, once again, please share, please review, please subscribe, and please talk about these ideas with your friends, whether you mention the podcast or not. And as always, thank you for listening.